Like this, this is not about philanthropy and, and saying, you know, capitalism. Like this is full on. How cool is that that you can create? I mean, look at Patagonia. You can create substantive generational change to the health of our world and make money doing it. Welcome to Playing Business. I'm Deshaun Kaiser. And I'm Dan Gardner. During season one of Playing Business, we sat down with professional athletes, sports commentators, league owners, and one of the world's most prolific climbers to ask the question, can success in sport translate to success in business? With the help of Messi, the MLS is now one of the fastest growing sports leagues in the U.S. But before the MLS took center stage, there was Kyle Martino, a former Rookie of the Year soccer player turned broadcaster. His journey has taken him from the pitch to the studio, where he uses his unique perspective to bridge the gap between the world of sports and the broader issues that shape our society. In this episode, we dive into the intersections of sports, business, and culture, exploring how Kyle's passion for soccer has shaped his worldview. We'll also explore his post-playing career as an entrepreneur, advocate, and thought leader in the sports industry, and how he's driving positive change through innovative initiatives. Let's get into it. In the book of Kyle Martino, titled Builder of Stuff, what chapter are we in right now? Oh, man. Uh, uh, th- this might be the never-ending book, <laughs> un- unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Especially when you have AI to keep you going on forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, wow, that's, that's wild. Yeah, the, the chapter I'm in right now, I think, is like the, I, I won't give a number, but I'll say it's, it's like the pivotal point in the book. Mm. Um, you know, the, the last five years have been so incredibly challenging, and I probably picked the worst time ever to become an entrepreneur especially when everything I build has to do with getting people together. So yeah, I mean, perfect timing to say like, I've got what I want to do. I'm going to leave this cushy TV job that is uh, probably the most money I'm going to make for a while and the most famous I'll be for a while. And I'm going to go try my luck at being an entrepreneur uh, and build things to get people together just when no one is allowed to be together and uh, no one wants people together. So I, I would say like, um, just to, just to go real deep, that um, you know, le- leaving a big career that um, I spent the last eleven years on television talking about soccer, um, you know, getting a divorce and having to figure that world out with my ex, who's incredible, and I'm so grateful we've been able to figure out how to co-parent and and get through uh, the challenge of an unexpected plan, but one that has turned out to be really positive. And now launching my fourth business in, in five years. So I guess the turning point is obviously people are allowed to get together again. So not only are, are people looking for this, but people um, have longed for someone to design ways to experience things in real life together. So yeah, I, I would say this chapter is titled Turning Point. Love it. I love it. Wow. That's amazing. Let's, let's go back a little bit. The story of uh, how you chose soccer and, and then maybe just kind of the, the, the quick journey um, to the MLS. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I can remember the day. So um, I grew up in a big family, three older brothers, one younger sister, and um, big Notre Dame household. So like, grew, grew up with my, my dad went to Notre Dame, some of his relatives, you know, that was Rocket Ishmael and, and Jerome Bettis. Oh, yeah. And uh, oh, yeah. you know, my dad would talk about Montana and and rice and, and all this stuff. But we were kind of a football household, you know, American football household. But sports was always a big piece of our world. You know, we, we were kind of the Hunger Games, three older brothers and one younger sister. So it's like, 
we could turn anything into a competition. But one day, I'm, I'm six years old. I'm, you know, dressed before everyone else to go to church. You know, the only time I could actually have control of the TV where my <laughs> brothers weren't putting on what they wanted to put on. And, and it's, I'm not like 80 years old, but it was one of these. Like, it was yeah, like 12 yeah. channels. <laughs> and one Sunday, I flip it, and um, there's just this sport on. There's this, and I didn't even... You know, it was bigger than a sport. There was just this balletic and beautiful and and alien and that it was a different in a different language. I, I, I just was like, what is this thing? And and it spoke to me immediately. I, I was mesmerized, um, thought about it all all during church and immediately when I got home I went in the backyard to try to recreate some of the things I saw. And it was, you know, the Serie A Italian league. I come from a, a Italian heritage, so I don't know if it was like memories of a family past but from that day forward i mean I, I it wasn't like a slow growth into loving it i just loved it immediately that's awesome that's awesome and that, that takes you obviously through a, a very successful uh, you know college career you end up in the mls in 2002 uh two yeah 2001 2001 yeah. awesome yeah. rookie of the year uh yeah yeah off to a great start decent start so, I'd so, say. And then, and then, you know, yeah, so, so, so what, what was the MLS at that point in time? Obviously, it's, it's, it's gaining a lot of traction now. It's hot. It's, it's cool to think about yeah. it. I'm seeing, you know, kids in my neighborhood now wearing soccer jerseys. So it's definitely a, a, a great time for American soccer. But 2002 must have been a little bit different. Yeah, you know what's wild is, like, if, if you want to pick, like, inflection points, like big moments where soccer has pivoted, but, you know, before my time was the... the um, you know, it was the Cosmos, right? Pele and and the NASL, you know, huge crowds for the Cosmos and Beckenbauer, all these famous players coming over to play. And then that, that famously, you know, collapsed. It was just ahead of its time. Um, and, and the next big moment, at least for me, in the window I saw soccer through was uh, 1990, you know, our, our men are in the World Cup and... Um, no, so, so now it's like, oh, wait, they're American. That was the first time I was like, wait, they're Americans that, that like, pl play this incredible global game? And then the biggest moment that, that made the greatest impact on me was the 1994 World Cup. So he, here, here's the, the largest sports event in the world, right? This, thing, this game I love, this, like, what felt like an indie world I was in that now all of a sudden, like, the whole... Especially when you're in the tri-state area in New York City, you're like, I didn't realize like this is the whole world here. And so, um, you know that that moment of going an hour and a half away to Giants Stadium, where I'd seen you know the, the, the Giants play and I'd seen concerts, you know, to go down the road and watch Italy play and some of these heroes, this guy Roberto Baggio, who was one of my favorite players growing up, you know, to see him in the flesh. We were just having this conversation today about AI, like that. That's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about in real life experience. It's like, I'm getting chills. Like that, that dramatically changed the trajectory of my life, the hardwiring of my brain, you know, the, the, the health and wellness I, I, I can enjoy today and, and everything I'm grateful for honestly can be traced back to that in real life experience of watching the World Cup. You know, and I'll try to kind of speed through. Then, like that was the impetus for a league of our own. I mean, that that created a, a professional league called Major League Soccer that started a couple of years later. Now, all of a sudden, these like international stars are in our backyard, right? Like, I'm, I'm at high school parties, like pouring my beer out in the plant, like pretending to drink and like, yeah, you know, pretending to be cool and just go finding the room I could put the MLS game on. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was it, it's so interesting to like. 
the, the, the speed in which the game has grown, the league has grown, and women's soccer now being the, 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 the latest piece to, to just take off in a huge way. Like, it's so weird to watch kids with like every league on their phone and women's mm. games like sold out mm. and Messi coming to Miami. It's like, it's such a strange experience to watch what's happening today juxtaposed to like not being able to find it in English. And like, you know, the only game I ever saw in real life was like down the road because the World Cup came. Like to, yeah, yeah. to think about like what, like if I could just dream about the six-year-old me growing up today, it's like, I, I just, you know, I almost get emotional thinking about how cool it is to be a young soccer fan after what we went through. That's awesome. Did you see how it was gonna grow beyond that? Like when you were, at that moment, you're touching and feeling, it's 2001, you're entering it, did you see? What's interesting is 2001, as I started my business, it's a digital first business in a world where people didn't understand digital. But I thought I thought I saw something there. Yeah. Did you think when you were entering in 2001, did you see something there? You no, know what's what's? I just didn't like. You know, you're in your own. And I don't know if you, if if you feel the same. You're in your own echo chamber as an athlete. Like your world is as big as it as it can be, and it's not big enough because there's the world bigger. Like you're you're in this like endless, you're in this endless like tunnel vision of today. I've got to be the best. Like I've got to be the best so I play this weekend. I've got to be the best this weekend. There's this like just this video game you never get to the final level of and you stay so fixated on you and how you plug into a system you don't see them oh i didn't see the macro world at all for me like the one thing was like how cool is this that i'm getting paid to play soccer for a living so it's like not a lot at that time by the way at all not a lot ever actually when i was playing but um <laughs> But like that, that the world and like I still saw MLS teams failing, right? Like Miami Fusion. That's what's so wild about this messy thing is Miami was one of the teams that that failed and collapsed, and they had to take out of the league. And that happened like a couple years before I got into the league. So like, you know, to me, it didn't like it just mattered that we had a professional league, and I was playing against you know Valderrama and 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 Donadoni and some of these like incredible stars. You know, eventually got a chance to play with Beckham. Like, for me, it, it I just always saw it getting better than it was the day before. Mm. And just, I knew it was growing, but I still was fixated on, like, I don't care if it's not the biggest league. I don't care if my friends don't watch it. I don't care if, what people have to say about it. Like, it's the greatest thing on the planet, and it's the biggest game on the planet. Like, I was still kind of like, I think, really focused on, from a fan perspective, there still was a fan in me that focused on the game globally. And then the player in me just felt so grateful and like just like such a little kid that I was doing it for, for a living. And then, you know, the biggest moment is getting to do it for, for your country. Like the first time I got to put on the U.S. jersey, I think was the first time I was like, wow, like th this isn't going anywhere. You know, like I'm, I deserve to be here. Like... I'm gonna have a career, and also like, this 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 game is ours. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, you you mentioned something there though that that I definitely want to lean on. There's a couple things I want to unpack out of it. The first is that you weren't making a lot of money. You know, this is kind of a new this is a new sport to America. I mean, there were guys that had, and I wasn't because I rookie of the year, and I was on the youth national team. I was on the full national team at 20, so I was making a good living. I also was living in Columbus, Ohio, so like I bought a house for like 130 grand. But there were yeah, there were guys you know for for several years while I was playing that had like other other jobs. I mean, you know, there were guys not making a lot of scratch at all. Were, were you tempted yourself to, to think about life after ball while also entering into, you know, soccer at the time? Or, or was it, 
Were, were you were you comfortable enough to, to keep it as your main thing and the only thing and, and give your all to it? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, I, I, you know, it's hard because you you kind of alter the history sometimes, and and I. I've done a lot of therapy in the aftermath of my career, and I've talked publicly of struggling with depression and, and, and learning things about myself when my career was done because I didn't have, I didn't have the retreat, I didn't have the world of, of soccer as my, as my anodyne every day. Um, so like, I, 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 I was kind of just so focused on the, the day and the next day and I don't mean in like a positive awareness sort of sense. I just mean like I just couldn't think of a world past the next day and what my goal was at the time, right? It was like either, um, you know, make the all-star team or make the U.S. team or get a, get a bigger contract or get to Europe. And so um, I never, while I was playing, thought about playing afterwards. And, and it wasn't because I knew I was going to be independently wealthy. It was just because I just... Every faculty I had was spent on thinking about how to be great that day at playing. And I'd say the only time I th started to think about it was I, I had my third like really bad injury. And what I was having to do to get on the field and, and the awful things I was putting my body through and the treatments that I knew were gonna have a, a dramatic effect on my quality of life afterwards. And, you know, the world's so much better for you guys now than it was for us. I mean, the, the, the things, and, and this isn't um, duplicity or, or malpractice, it was just like back then the speed to get you back on the field just didn't have the advancements that could also be healthy for you as, a, as an individual. So like, um, I started to see I was gonna have a tough quality of life after the game was done. And, and I was only 26 when that injury happened. So that was, that was the first time I was like, I, I gotta start, yeah, I gotta start thinking about what's next. So beyond the sort of injury, was there a moment similar to when you said you were a kid and you turned on the TV and you saw that Italian soccer game that you're like, I wanna do this? Was there that moment that said, I wanna be an entrepreneur? Like, I wanna be a business person? Um, uh, yes, so you know, the, the moment, when I, when I retired, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had a career-ending injury. It was a very sad day. I remember being in a, in a, in a training room about this size with the, um, the trainer who was who was the U.S. doctor, the U.S. soccer doctor, but also worked with the LA Galaxy a little bit because his office was in L.A. And um, you know, we we had already, you know, it was my decision, but he kind of was like, I think you need to consider hang, hanging up the boots. You know, he kind of laid out what the next ten years were going to look like for me. And um, yeah, I remember just like. He, you know, he had to record it for you know insurance purposes. I remember just saying that you know today's the day I'm deciding I'm 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 going to retire. Just for, and and I didn't show a lot of emotion. You know, I I I came from from a, a background of you know tough it out, don't show weakness. You know, like power forward, like be pragmatic, be solution based. And so um, that was the first time like pure emotion came out of me like in front of another person, which was which was a wild experience to have that happen at 28 years old for the first time. That that day, I had a feeling in my head that I wanted to go so far away from soccer. Like I didn't want anything to do with the game. I'd fallen out of love with it. I, I um, you know, it's it's almost like getting broken up with. I just didn't want to see my ex. I, you know, I just didn't feel good about who I was and where I was, and I just knew I wasn't going to be happy being around it. So I didn't watch a game, I didn't kick a ball. I, I totally disappeared from soccer, like cold turkey. 
And I think because all my siblings and my dad are, are very talented and successful business people, I, I think there was an insecurity in me that I wanted to prove to them, you know, like I, I, can, I can do this too. So I immediately went and worked in finance. And, and picture this, so I, I have career-ending injury, I, I, I didn't graduate from college, um, you know, I have no financial background training. I'm like, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go work in finance. <laughs> and it's 2008. So oh. I, I, I get into, and I start working at a place called Lennox, amazing place with, with wonderful people, a lot of former athletes. And like within six months, the, yeah, that market crash happened, which was not my fault, by the way. <laughs> market crash happened, and like that was the first time I thought, like, I, I think I realized what, what about me was missing from playing, and I also found playing again in, in a funny way. Um, I found the game again, but that was when I realized I'm a creative person. Like, uh, the type of player I was on the field was I, I was an inventor. I just, I loved, I love, and I had, and I now I know I have like an engineering mind. One of the reasons I was, I was a dynamic and good player on the ball and good at, at taking people on is like I, I can just, I'm good at movement and I'm good at angles and I'm good at spatial awareness and I'm, I'm good at at executive function and ideas and playing them out quickly and iterating on, on them fast. And so it was really cool and I didn't do anything with it yet, but but that day I was like, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I liked the corporate world because it felt competitive and it was team-based, but I'm, but but that was that was the day I was like, you know, but I'm a, I'm a creative person. And that was the first kind of like maybe entrepreneur thing I had in my mind, but didn't start a business until many years later. Which is, there's something so beautiful and pure about your path. It, it sucks and it's so unfortunate that you had to give up what you love the most because of injury, but unfortunately it's a reality to, to most athletes. Yeah. You know? um, We've had conversations, and, and my my background is one in where I was kind of business first. I, you know, sports was really a means to a way, and and quite frankly, it was it was guys like you who made me uncomfortable within my sport because you were so pure and into the game. You absolutely just you know that that was everything you lived and strived for. But then you hit this moment where you know the the, the last day had to come, and as you transition out of sport and into kind of the next phase of your life. You still found your way back into to, to the, the business of soccer. So, so I, I would love to kind of hear about that that time of um, maybe taking a step away and then obviously diving back in in something that still felt a little familiar um, in the game of soccer. So it was totally accidental. Um, and a few a few of my friends, um, J uh, Jeff Mateo and Aleko Eskandarian, both former pros that I, I played, one of them I played professional with and one of them I played college with. Both great guys, both great players. Um, there was a men's league team sponsored by a bar in the area named Phoebe's. And this guy, Derek, who has these bars, it was like the famous men's league team in New York because they would always win. And one of the reasons they always won the league was they would just cherry pick you know, great former pros that would come out. And it was just a really cool culture of, of, of um, you know, it was, it was the thing I think most athletes say they miss most about playing was the locker room. It was the feeling of being around a team and the camaraderie, the jokes, the, 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 the family feel of that. So um, they'd asked me to play several times, and I was just like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm done playing. And so we're at the White Horse Tavern in the West Village, a historic bar. Jim Morrison used to go there. It's been, been there forever. So ha having a few drinks, 
um, I, I had, you know, maybe my, my third or fourth drink. So I was, I, I was, I was feel, feeling good and laughing at these guys that they were getting ready to go play a game. So I'm sitting there, and uh, one of them's like, dude, tonight's the, the playoffs. Like, you've got, you've got to come because we're down a player, and if we don't feel like a full team, we, we, you know, we could, we're going to get kicked out of, the, out of the playoffs. So I'm like, well, I don't even have gear. And they're like, yeah, we, we've got extra gear they got out the field. And I'm like, dude, I don't have shoes. They're like, you know, what are you, eight and a half, like nine? I'm like, yeah, they're like, at the field. So I don't know. I, I've never asked them if they, like, choreographed this thing or not, but... That day, uh, I think if, if I only had two beers, I probably wouldn't have gone. But yeah, the fact <laughs> I was like, all right, let's go down there. So we, you know, we walk the 15 minutes down to Pier 40, and I show up, and of course they have like five subs. So so like you know they were just they just I think they just were heartbroken and couldn't understand how I like to your point. They knew I was someone that loved this game so deeply, and I'm so grateful to them that they. They gave me an easy path, and they got me out of my own head to, to go back to the game. So I showed up that night, and a bunch of guys that I used to play with, um, people I've become friends with, I'm still friends with, you know, Steve Nash played on the team, and I've, I've become close with him. It was like, it was so cathartic. It was like a support group, because there was a lot of former pros. And there was another side of me that was like, because I'm so far from the player I was on the field, I, I just, it's like a form of imposter syndrome. I, I'm just but different in that you'd proved something, right? So it's like, you know, rooted in imposter syndrome, but more so I didn't want to break that, like, I've got nothing to prove. Like, I can only lose. Like, I'm I'm only not going to be anything close to what someone watched on the TV or what someone thought. And that insecurity was with me for for, for a few years, but, like, the joy and, and the... and just the rush of, like, the muscle memory and, and the Rolodex of experiences that just got unlocked, like... That was the day back to playing again, and then the the moving into a TV career. Ne never dreamed I was going to. Never wanted to. Um, ESPN called me one day when I was working in finance, and they were like, "Hey, we lost our color commentator, John Harks. He's sick, and the game's in like three hours, and it's the Galaxy. You used to play for the Galaxy, like you know, you clearly like to talk, and you know, you know, shut up. So, um, do you want to come do it?" And I, I just was like, yeah, why not? And I did that game, and that was the first uh, game I'd watched or first game I'd, I had been to since I retired. So like, that was another big moment for me to be close to the field. And there was something about being at the stadium but, but being, being withdrawn, like not being in a locker room or not being on the sideline. There was something about that safe distance away from the game that years later I realized what it was that felt so special is for the first time I felt like a fan again. Mm. Like for, for the first time in, I mean, you know, the end of my career was sad too because I just didn't love the game anymore, didn't watch it. Like all I could think about was how much it hurt to do it and how how far I was from the player I used to be and the trajectory I was on. So like, man, to find, like that was the biggest gift ever of like to find fandom it's again. It's like you're seven years old yeah, again. totally. In my experience, Shortly before I decided to step away from the game and, and go full in on business, I had a, a really great time learning from Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks to ever play. Clearly, did you, did you mean learning on the field? Off the field, actually. Oh, off the field. When I got to the NFL, I had to make a decision of whether or not I wanted to pursue any of these off the field business opportunities that I, I created for myself in college. When that was really something that that was um, commended was being able to you know do a couple of things. Uh, uh, Which were football players super super hard with the the, the schedule that you guys Absolutely. have. I remember that at UVA being like, dude, you guys 
at all time. Holy cow. 100%. So you got, you know, you got three weeks off from the first week of May to the first week of June before summer football started. And in that time, most people go home and spend time with family. I decided to go to GE Capital in, in Norwalk, Connecticut and, and spend some time with their financial division to continue to round out my experience knowing that my decision to go to Notre Dame was my next 40 years are going to be great no matter what happens on the field. So when I went to the league, the first thing I wanted to do was to be the, the best NFL version of myself I could, which required me to cut all of that off. Stop doing all my business stuff. I stopped doing some of the charity things I was doing just to make sure I could focus in on ball. Aaron was kind of a mentor to me for a season that kind of showed me that you can be just as smart off the field and intellectual and a successful businessman while also being one of the best to, to ever throw a football. You had an experience with a year with another great in your sport, David Beckham. How was that experience? Was, was there some lessons that were learned through that year of overlap with the Galaxy? Yeah, for sure. And um, like, how how lucky to run, you know, it's, I, I'm sure, I don't know if you guys read Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, but that, that stuck with me is like just these, these, part of it is just the luck and the serendipity of you just happen to run into someone that taught you something and probably has helped you get on this path. You know, D David was... You know, the, the sad thing for me is I wish I met David when I was younger. You know, I, I, that was the, my season with him was the last season I, I ever played. And, um, you know, it was weird, and, and you, you dealt with this too. Like, it's a weird feeling when you are all of a sudden in an intimate scenario and just pushed into a family with someone that you idolized, right? Like, so even though David and I are cl close in age, I, I, I was watching the Premier League, I was watching that Manchester United side, like, you know, obviously everyone in the world, I mean, people in the, in the middle of, of the rainforest know who David Beckham is, like, this is not only this, like, mythical creature, but, like, to be around the excellence of him and get access to that, I'll, I'll, I'll say there are two things that, that stick with me. One is I just was amazed at that point in his career how professional he still was, like, how much... How much he still worked on his craft like best free kick taker in the place if anyone could you know it's kind of like steph curry like if anyone could miss some shooting practice it's like these guys but they don't like they're they're the ones that you know that like you're never going to catch these guys because they're still going to take more shots than you and so like the work ethic w was uh, that that was remarkable to me to see like what what he was still doing his regiment what he was putting out and also the discipline he had of like not not big timing it because some some big time players come in and like i'm not going to train so but like knowing himself and taking care of himself and managing it in the right way um so so that that was incredible the other was i was just just blown away at um just how normal he he tried to be because it's it's kind of impossible right like you know we, i remember we were at a bar in salt lake one time in the middle of kind of nowhere off the strip there's a handful of us that used to go out on the road that always got along and and, and had fun together we're, we're at a bar no one's there we're shooting pool and he's a really good pool player he's one of those annoying athletes that's like good at a lot of things so um you know we're, we pitcher pitcher of, of bad warm beer you know we're having laughs it's great all of a sudden, and it's because of this, right? Like all of a sudden, the, the place is like shoulder to shoulder. I'm telling you like in half an hour, it was like the craziest thing. So um, it was so hard for him and I kind of felt bad for him. It was so hard for him to have the normal experiences that we got to have. But I was just always amazed, like would pick his kids up from school every day. Like the, made the time and he and Victoria were so impressive like that. Like made the time and tried so hard to carve out as much of a normal life as they could. 
like even today I, I still think back and it's like man if he could do it yeah like I, I gotta you gotta figure that balance out do you now that you're an entrepreneur and trying to you have to dedicate yourself to probably similar to when you were a player is did that final season with him in that recognition of balance of intensity and you know being the best practicing the most but still balancing with family and everything are you do you think about that now in business like how you balance that intensity you know you have, you have kids yeah you know like how do you do that and how do you be them become the best at business yeah I mean I'll be super honest about it I, and I think it's important and, and my ex Eva and I and she was an actress and now is an entrepreneur herself she's built a, a, a lifestyle brand and and went to Brown incredibly bright um, you know the short answer to it is I'm kind of lucky I didn't have a family when I played because I don't know balance I only know I will train harder than you. I will work harder than you. I will run on the days you won't. I will, I will work with the ball on the days you want. I, I'm just indefatigable. And like, that's probably like little brother syndrome of like having three older brothers. And I, and I had a little sister, there's nowhere to pass the beat down. So it was like, <laughs> you know, just always needing to be a, like a voice, be relevant, be, be impressive and a house full of impressive people. Um, you know, I, I didn't get that balance right with my relationships when I played. You know, I was very selfish and very focused on my craft. Um, I, I'm, you know, I, I guess it's this is the, the, the gift and the curse. Like, I'm the same way as an entrepreneur. Um, and so, like, I, I kind of, you know, it's like Forrest Gump. I, I keep trying new things and succeeding at them. And I think the mistake that you can make is, I, I think I ascribe too much of the success to that that fanatical focus and and I think there's a certain part of that that's true and I think if you look across entrepreneurs that I look at as mentors people I don't know but people that I idolize like I think a lot of them have the same thing of like it, it's kind of a curse because you just can't accept that it's not done yet you, you can't accept that there are things to build that you know, you're losing time, you're losing days. And so, you know, my divorce, I think, has a lot to do with, um, you know, I, ma I made my ex feel very lonely. Like, I think it can, it can feel very lonely to be in a relationship with me because in the way she would describe it, and my, my mom would describe it too, is like, you could, like, f in, in a day, you could feel you're in the warmth of, like, the sun of me and then be in the coldest winter ever, like, in the same day. And I think it's just... It, it, it's it's um, not a lack of compassion or love. I think it's just a, um, you know, ju just a an, an endless and like just never satiated drive and feel of something needs to be done and something needs to be created. And once I have it in my head, I just can't stop until some version of it exists. And so. You know, I, I I lately, you know, if you if you look at the last five years, I, I left NBC, a dream job, um, you know, probably the, the the most money I could that anyone would pay me, you know, for anything I was doing, and and the job I loved the most with people that I loved doing it with, but I left it to run for U.S. Soccer President when the men failed to qualify for a World Cup, and and that to your point, that was the day I was like, I'm not building anything, and I'm not I'm not impacting the culture of the game in a country I love. 
and I'm not giving this gift and I'm not doing anything to make sure this gift comes into the household of people that need it most. And at a time that the game has never been easier to love and never been more popular, the friction between kids and playing and adults and enjoying it is the greatest it's ever been in many ways. So it's like, I ran for US soccer president ostensibly to lead the charge to build products to help that. And uh, a podcast for another day, that would be a three hour podcast, mm -hmm. lost you know eight candidates and, and um, was second to the, the vice president who ended up winning. Mm. who ended up um, having to walk away very soon after he won uh, um, mm. in a little bit of disgrace. But that day woke up something in me that like, I have to use my uh, drive, I have to use my creativity, my network, and my life of being a soccer consumer and all of the things I've learned watching this game go through dramatic changes over you know, the, the, the three and a half, four decades that I've enjoyed it as a fan and as a player. Like, I've touched every single inch of the soccer consumer landscape. And so, like, I think, like, where I'm at now with three, you know, three companies and a nonprofit in five years is um, trying to figure out, like, how how can enough be enough? And, like, how can I balance like having a having a personal life, honestly, like ha have, having that part of me um, be able to be present and be accessible and still satisfy this like voice in my head and this urge in my chest to solve problems by designing products for soccer consumers. What's interesting is you talked about, you know, when you're a player in your relationship, you felt selfish. You know, you, it was all, and now you've moved into the things you're making are actually more selfless, whether it's helping the, you know, or your business is about, you know, multi-surface courts to allow more people to be accessible to soccer. But it seems like maybe there's still a tension about, do you need to be selfish in the business part, even if the business intent is to be selfless? Is there a tension that you're playing with there? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And I think... Um... Yeah, you know, it's like, I think there's part of me that's just the seven-year-old that flipped the screen on and, like, has instruments now that I couldn't dream I would have then inherent in me, but also at my disposal and, and within my network and, and pooled resources of people that believe in me or I believe in. Um, so I think that there's an adolescent side to the drive of like, I, I think I'm designing for the seven year old me. And, um, you know, I, I think I, I get a lot of enjoyment and, and I think it's very cathartic for me to see the impact it has on kids that, you know, are the age of, of, I think this part of life that I'm kind of stuck in, in many ways. Um, and so I think. I think really it's like I'm trying to do enough of that where I catch up with my seven-year-old and like the seven-year-old me becomes the adult that I am today. Like part of it is that internal struggle and that internal um, drive. I think um, an another part of it is almost like accepting and martyrdom is, is not the right word, but accepting like this is just what I'm meant to do. And like um, I, I, I like while I can with what I can, like I can do it for a large group of people. So like it's 
I kind of feel it's my responsibility to do it. Um, and I would say what's what's interesting is like, I need to figure out how to to um, I guess how to how to trust in and believe in that the the level of sacrifice I make to design these things are not really the reason that they're succeeding and they're reaching a, a lot of people. Like I, I just I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time detaching um, like original thought and IP and design and drive and rain making and paradigm shifting and taste making you know the the beginnings of successful businesses and, and we all know the majority of them fail right like I, I I live very much in the startup phase right of the of the that's where I pour so much of my time effort and heart in but but two of my companies now are funded and run by incredible people and like that has proved to me like hey man it 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 happens when you're sleeping like you're 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 not that special and like i i think i'm reaching a point where um the imposter syndrome is a little i think i'd not going to college and or graduating from college there's just certain insecurities i still have and i think i've assuaged those with with what i've proved and i think um yeah, I, I, it's funny. Like the timing of this interview is really interesting because I'm going through this right now and getting asked in my latest venture football cafe. I'm getting asked directly by investors. Like we're a bit worried that like seems like every six months you have a new shiny thing and a new thing you want to build. And like, yeah, we 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 believe in you. Like what, you know, and you know this at the startup phase, it's it's much more betting on the jockey than betting on the horse. And so. I think what my company succeeding without me being there and being, you know, meticulous and probably so annoying to the people that work for me is like some of the entrepreneurs like, you know, Steve Jobs and, and some of these others that like, you know, part of them you just think is so beautiful and amazing. You have to realize like it's the other part of them that like is not probably why it worked, that you don't have to live that way. And, and by the way, no way am I comparing myself to Steve Jobs, but it's like, I'm going through this in real time right now of like, um, I need to be actually more selfish in that like, I need to be selfish in trying to find how, how creating family of my, of, of my own and, and raising my kids and, and finding an intimate and, and substantive partner that gets me and will deal with my insanity. Like, that I'm allowed to be selfish in those ways. And I, I think I just don't feel I'm allowed to do that. So some of this, like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. I, some of it's a bit of a cop-out because I think I'm just scared that maybe I'm just not good at, you know, like, this is what I'm good at and I know I am. Maybe I'm just not good at being someone that's easy to get to know and be in a long relationship with. I mean, that's really, that, that's really going down. <laughs> yeah, no, so any, sing, any single people out there... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's, it's interesting because I, as you say all this, there's clearly a, a, a thought of negativity around that. But I probably can speak for both Dan and I from a business side. There's nothing that you're saying that makes me think that you're going to be anything less than an incredible entrepreneur because of how much you want it. I think that that's what we bond over, and that's what you know everyone kind of in, in the circle and, and the two people we're spending with and are spending time with in can bond over is that we all love this shit. You know, like yeah. this this is what we do. This is who we are, um, and it ultimately is what you know 
hopefully will make me a successful businessman. This will make you know Dan such a successful businessman. So I'm I'm curious. We've talked over it a bunch. You've the best the best businesses solve great problems in a way that only this founder can solve them. Meaning a set of experiences that that have have, have put you in a place to go solve a really good problem. That while you are kind of doing a couple different businesses at the same time, it seems like they're all kind of mesh very well together. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious, what, what problem are you solving? And then let's talk about those businesses and how you're solving it. Yeah, that, that's a that's a really good question. And it's interesting. There's been conversations about trying to roll my world up into one instrument. And so I've had to kind of answer these recently. So I'll try, I'll, 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 I'll try my elevator pitch. I'll try on how I see it. Um, you know, I'm, in a way, I'm an accidental studio fund. Um, and the number one problem I'm trying to solve is the friction between people in one of the most accessible and enjoyable commodities on the planet. So like playing soccer for me and consuming soccer as a fan is social justice, is social enterprise, is health and wellness. It's one of the greatest vehicles for social interaction that leads to, leads to substantive changes in your character and in your health and in your belief in your ability to to achieve what you want in life and live a happy life like I, I i could sit here and i'd love to get into discourse with others but like i'll put it up against any conduit for for improvement empowerment enjoyment like it's just it, they call it the beautiful game and and you know if you want to deconstruct why there's two reasons one is what it makes you feel and what it tears down, like oh, diametric disposition, socioeconomic differences, wars. I mean, and this isn't hyperbole, like cease for this game. So it's like this thing has the greatest power to pause real life long enough for us to realize we're all humans and there's so much shit we should be enjoying together. And there's so many things you don't know. And there's so many things you think that, that don't have to be that way or could change. And so like, I, 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 like, I look at like winning World Cups and getting national team coaches, all this stuff is important, but it's the hardest thing to change. Like US soccer has got to spend 200 million bucks to move the, the needle a millimeter. And it's still just the parody of like, competitions are competitions. The ball bounces the wrong way. You know, France lost a, or didn't qualify for a World Cup and won the next one. Like, it's like, yeah, like that's the beauty of sport is at an elite level we love it in soccer more than any because it's just anyone can beat anyone at any time but like what it needs to be for real life is like there's a lot of people struggling or there's a lot of people succeeding and and there's just so the the echo chambers and like how this keeps us away from each other or away from understanding or away from happiness like soccer is this just powerful in real life experience so like we're not, my dad has this amazing saying, if you can't fix it, feature it. So like for me, I, I see consumer problems with this being the greatest game on the planet, the North America being, and, and the United States um, specifically, being the largest and, and, um, and most, and, and, and most and deepest consuming sports market on the planet, right? I mean, there, there are people that can be fans of multiple teams within the same sport, let alone 20 <laughs> sports, right? So, like, here's this wild problem of the greatest game on the planet and the country that m most looks like the planet, most representative of, of the diversity of the planet, with people really struggling with social justice issues and poverty and health and wellness um, issues. 
we there's this gift that works everywhere else in the world a different way than we use it so i i just look at the the natural inertia of the beautiful game has grown it in this country but but architecture and products have not been designed well to to make it accessible enjoyable and the right of every single person as opposed to the privilege of a very niche group of people and those niche people groups of people are enjoying it less and less and consuming it for greater and greater amounts of money so I, I just see a broken market problem and an incredible opportunity right like and this is not to criticize the architects of the game you know major league soccer and don garber their commissioner and sunil gaudi that used to run u.s soccer i mean they've made incredible decisions that have moved this game and shepherded it in so many different ways but like we're the size of Europe. Sure. There's no way these two entities could solve a, a huge problem of, we have college like no other countries have. We have multiple sports like no other countries have. Like Soccer has a challenge in this, in this market, and it, the greatest challenge is trying to sell it as a, as a standalone product, trying to specialize a consumer audience to say, no, pick this over the others. And so my companies, it's pretty clear how they all try to solve that problem. The first, I started with Dennis Crowley, who founded Foursquare. I thought, well, we're not going to get people to get rid of this. How do we help this get people together to keep playing soccer? Um, and and the, and for me, it's the it's the lapsed players. It's the um, the the ones that would play if there was an entry point. Um, and so I, I listened to a podcast of the women that started Soul Cycle, and I was like, well, you know what? This is mostly just a, a a branding and paradigm shift of like, we need to take the commodity of soccer and take it in the way it, it is most pervasive and prolific, which is playing it on hard surfaces. So street soccer is what makes it a, a syndicate and a central nervous system of people playing this game all over the world and continuing to play it. Proximity to a facility, Aspen Institute of Sports shows, is the highest percentage chance someone will start playing and keep playing. And I think pickleball is one thing that's kind of showing some of that in many ways. So for me, I was like, I want the men to win a World Cup while we're alive. Like that, that initially was my drive, but now it's like a, just kind of a, a consequence, something I'm not trying to solve, but something will get solved by me solving the, the access and enjoyment problem. Yep. And... Um, only eight teams have ever won a World Cup, and all of them have a, a dominant and incredibly deep street soccer culture mm. and a hardscape culture. So it's the way every other country but ours starts and, and, and continues to play this sport on their way to grass and on their way to big and on their way to referees and on their way to coaches, right? So um, Street FC, we just said, listen, let's become the biggest football club on the planet by activating underutilized concrete space by using a proprietary uh, tech platform to get people that would play together to play together at similar skill levels on a space that fil facilitates the best way, safest way, and most gender neutral way to play the game in, in the world and not as a unique and standalone product, as a portfolio of their play if they already play, but as their way to continue to play if they don't or never did. And, and the idea was, like, just just take this technology, prove it in New York City where there's 2,000 basketball courts and many of them never used for their primary purpose, unfortunately. So that, that was the big theory, and we're in uh, 14 cities now with Street FC. The next one was like, okay, well, that's that's a, a, a tech solution to, to shift a paradigm towards a way that we should be thinking about soccer that will change the way this game is played in this country forever. Development, and that'll help top the pyramid stuff. And that'll go to the game. 
The next one was we have an inventory problem where we think soccer is fields, right? Every other country but ours, under every single basketball hoop, is a soccer goal. So we have 2,000 basketball courts in New York City. There's never been a player from New York City that's played for our national team. These, these, these things are, are facts that should just be blinking and, and making everyone look this way and go, this is, this is crazy. The last team that won the French national, um, the last French national team that won the World Cup, uh, almost half of that team is, is from the same area of housing projects north of Paris. I mean, let alone from Paris, from that same area. You know, it's like Rucker Park of soccer. So um, I was like, well, we need every, you know, we need every basketball court in our country to have soccer goals. So I started a nonprofit. I got laughed out of every room. No Parks and Rec group would agree to it. So I went to go meet with Adam Silver to get permission for basketball. And he was like, yeah, basketball courts should be more than just a basketball court. I spent three years designing and patenting a goal system that you recess into the ground. We got patents and we're in 15 cities now with that. So like, that's the infrastructure and, and, and physical technology solution to make what wasn't used now five sports rather than just, just one sports facility. And then the last one was, okay, so I've got um, you know, the, 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 the club that's going to create the soul cycle of soccer, right? I've got the piece of technology and the nonprofit that allows kids that don't have access to this game, especially refugee and immigrant immigrant communities that come from countries where soccer is the number one sport. Like, here's a social empowerment, social justice, and development instrument by just giving them some, a permission to be on this place to play soccer, because this goal turns it into their Wembley and goes back to their basketball whenever they want it to be. So, also solves a hyper specialization problem, so they can sports sample. So, all right, that that's done. The last one is like. It's it's never been easier to watch soccer. It's never been more popular. And Ted Lasso and, and Wrexham have now blown it out of the water. Messi coming to Miami is going to make it insane. And the 2026 World Cup will be a force multiplier that will turn this game into one of the biggest things that, that this country is ever going to see. But it's never been harder to get together with people and watch it. It, it. It's so strange. So now it's like very tribal. It's like Liverpool bars and Manchester United bars. So it's like at a time where the interest has peaked for the largest group of people to love and, and celebrate and curious enough to find this game or, or go back and love it again, we've made it really hard to be around people to do so. And so... Um, we, we took a lease on a place in uh, in Chinatown in New York City between Soho and the Lower East Side. I had a theory that you know we could create a Soho house of soccer with like a hard rock of uh, cafe of soccer as its first floor. And this idea of like just create a, a, a cultural meeting place for soccer fans or people that identify as soccer fans that is the furthest from a sports bar the furthest from a Manchester United bar, the furthest from a Soho house and the pretension of some of these places where, you know, you never meet anyone and it really doesn't feel like a community of people. Like, use soccer as an incredible social lubricant and conduit to get a very international and creative and interesting and diverse world together in a brick-and-mortar space to create a soccer consumer brand that can have a huge digital audience that allows us to scale by meeting the need that that audience has has FOMO. They want to be one of the 300 people in our space um, and, and just slowly get to all of them eventually city by city by creating like the, the largest, you know, um, public access and, you know, premium access, kind of like how every stadium works these days. The majority of people are in the stadium, but some of them tuck away into hospitality. Like create that for the 
the social soccer consumer. And so, yeah, we're, we, we launched Football Cafe. Um, we're officially launching Football Cafe in, uh, in July during the Women's World Cup, and there couldn't be a better time to launch it while a lot of brands are skipping the Women's World Cup. We're like, no, we're, we're, we're doubling down because this, this, this game is, is about how big they're going to show the possibility over the next few years. I love it. I think that we are in such an interesting time with sports. You know, with, with Liv and the PGA, we were just talking to Paul from uh, the Premier Lacrosse League and, yeah. and, you know, giving equity to the players to really, you know, develop that league out. Um, the, the usage of technology and the globalization from social media that allows for uh, athletes to, to have their individual brands. There's just so many things that are, that are happening within sport. Um, and it's, it, it's the, the more I sit here and, and listen to you talk about soccer, it's, it's unbelievable that there's still so much room for growth within the biggest sport in the world. You yeah. know? And, and the fact that um, you are as positioned as you are as an American great to, to go and, and, and uh, disrupt the industry, I'm just really excited to, to see what comes from that because I... I, I Quite frankly, my, my honest opinion, specifically within the conversations at Sport Beach here, here in Cannes, is that all of these media ways of, of innovating within the sport, while they're while it's great and it's cool and it's sexy and it's fun, and there's going to definitely be a few more you know F1 shows that come out that, that bring some more attention to the sport, I'm really excited for things like the Soho House of Soccer. There, there's no other, there, there, I've never heard of anything even close to that, so yeah. I'm, just, I, I'm really excited to see you know, what comes Thanks, out, of, out of this, this suite of, uh, I, I'm just, most of my ideas, I look it up immediately, and I'm like, oh, yeah, someone's already, someone, someone's already done that, right? Like, I'm sure you do that. We wake up, you're like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And you're like, oh, my God, someone did it yesterday, or someone did it, like, 20 years ago. Um, like, I'm just, I, I'm dumbfounded that people haven't gone to build the things that, that I honestly, like, with my nonprofit, I, I thought I was going to go and find the goal system that someone makes, or, like, yeah. like it, it, so, like, you know, I, I think... I was very unhealthy when I when I lost the election. I was very unhealthy in that I just bla I was blaming so many people. I was blaming people that I didn't win. I was mad at the athletes they didn't vote for me. I was mad at you know the the, the people that had these jobs or, and and people at apparel brands that I feel should be doing. And I just I realized very quickly like not only is that going to make me very unhealthy, but it's not fair. It's not right. Like. It's not, a lot of these people. It's not their. It's not the purpose of their job. And then with some of them, they're at these massive companies. Like, they they just can't iterate and move that fast. And they have stockholders and they they have departments. They're just, you know, a lot of them share similar beliefs than us. But like, dude, I gotta go to work. And like, we I, we ha we have our priorities and we have our products and we have what we have to deliver. So like. I've had a big shift lately in that, like, I don't see the, I don't see the problems to your point. I just see the remarkable opportunity. And like, for me, I'm, I'm just trying to stay disciplined because I, I've thought of so many different ideas that I, but my R&D folder is scary, but I've just said like, stay focused on things that are very important to you, like super in your lane and it's in real life experience. So like. So there are better people than me building the the AR and the AI and the media and the and and what you guys have built. Like there's so there's people not only they're better but love it and like that's their passion, that's their interest. So just because there's an opportunity for me as an entrepreneur, like I, I'm so against because you see an opportunity, you go you go for it. Like it's got to be deep in you that like you need to solve this problem. Like it, you can't live without solving this problem because you want it. Like you need it so badly. Like that's the biggest drive. And so for me, it's 
everything I will do, and you're gonna like show. It's gonna be like the Daily Show. You show this three years later, and it's like, how's this like video game that you? No, but everything that I do is about getting people together in real life, and that's why I'm so excited to be here because like. Uh, um, technology is is the most beautiful instrument, and, and it it is it is capable of things beyond my understanding, and it can it can do so much more, so much faster than I can as an individual. And I love like leaning on experts in in the world of tech. And Dennis Crowley was one of my first, who's become a dear friend, who's been a mentor and taught me a lot. Like, how do I leverage technology? This unprecedented moment we're going through in the soccer landscape in our country. My unique experience and my crazy mind, like how do those ingredients come together to make being a soccer fan more enjoyable and easier? Like that, that, that is like my mission. And as, as long as I, I can show humility and be aware and uh, stay, stay disciplined, like, you know, only one of them have to have to work for all of this to have been worth it and I don't and I'm a bad businessman I don't mean in yield I just mean in like I just want to wake up every day and think about like sol solving problems for people that have no idea I'm thinking about their problem for them yeah. Yeah. so saying something like digital is going to the end of in real life and reality is meaningless because of fantasy when you hear that, what do you, how do you react? Yeah, I mean, here's my thing: is like, <laughs> what, one thing if we were if if we had to debate, and I don't, and it's not binary. Yeah, we no, we kind of touched yeah, on yeah, this before. Yeah. If we had debate to debate, I would say you can have your digital world. Nothing will replace doing something in real life, and even if it could, I don't want to be a part of that world. The the, the and that was that was the cynic I, I used to be, and the in the in the um, and the just irreverent and kind of punk entrepreneur I was way back at the beginning and I think that was necessary right like I think I needed that like well I'll show you drive at the beginning especially with how hard it was during the time I tried to do it but for me I only think about all the ways that FIFA the video game and EA Sports make it easier for me to do my job like it's I, I was in I'll give I'll give you anecdotally a, a story I'm I'm in a, a Uber it was oh. Austin I looked and the guy had Burnley shorts on I'm just like that's amazing you know pretty kind of like off the beaten path Premier League club that's like what well, you know at the time not not one of the popular clubs to support and I was like uh, you know hey hey oh no he said um, you know who do you think's gonna win this year so he, he he clearly watched the Premier League recognized who I was. And um, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, probably Manchester City. But I was like, you, you're a Burnley fan. He goes, yeah, you know, I'm actually a big baseball guy. I've just gotten into soccer recently. And I was like, oh, like that's that's wild. Like how? And he goes, yeah, just playing playing FIFA. <laughs> and so like, how silly would it be for me? And and I think about this with a lot of entrepreneurs and people that could be affecting a lot of people. It's like, how silly for you to be so in your own echo chamber you don't see the opportunity in something that you've looked at as the as the competition or the challenge it's like just because technology is improving and ar is improving and video games look a lot better than my zelda basement nintendo days doesn't mean these kids are going to be less likely to come outside it just makes me feel a greater responsibility to we just gotta have a great offering once their interest is peaked Wanting to kick a ball is a lot easier after you just did it virtually or just watched on TV. That, that's where you've set it up and I, I, you've teed it up and I got to knock it out of the park. And so I look at the one-two punch of like, I look at digital as, as my, my like dream assist maker. Like 
get everyone psyched in a bigger and better and faster way than you ever could in real life. And we're just going to come in behind you as the closer and say, who wants to go do this at the park over there? Clip it. That's awesome. The, the whole premise of the pod is that there are, are a select group of us who are able to make it at the highest level, but are able to then take that and turn it into some amazing businesses through um, strategies and themes that, that come from sport. I, I know I mentioned it earlier, I, I love your, your story. I love your, your path, being that my business has very little to do with sport. I'm able to pull themes into it, but I really took a step way outside of the lane that I was in to go and authenticate art and fashion. Just completely a different world. It's so beautiful to see this very linear path to exactly where you're at today. I'm just really excited to see what the next chapter looks like after the turning point. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Let me let me say um, just something specifically athlete-based okay. and entrepreneur-based too. Like the beauty of this thing and um, sports tech in general is, and it came out a little bit in that great discussion we had we had today. Um, I think athletes and artists too, but I, I just can't speak to it because I just don't have an intimate relationship with it. But like athletes are this incredible natural resource that needs to be mined. And like, I, I think two things can happen simultaneously. I, I think that um, there's a scary world of what happens to athletes afterwards. And that, that doesn't even only mean pro, right? You know, that, that happens at the high school level. Like there, there's this world in which athletes f don't really realize the gifts that the game gave them and, and what their talent actually is and how applicable and how plug and play it is for so many parts of life. Like. That thing worries me because um, the, you know the further you get, the the more you you are untethered from. You're just a special person, and like this is just how at this point in your life that was being that was manifesting. But like it takes people that are outside of us. Like it takes someone from the outside that has a business mind or or has has a tech mind. The incredible guy we were sitting with that has has worked in AI. Like. Uh, my hope at this point is that like things like this become incubators for the positive ways that athletes get into their next team, their next world, their next passion, but also like you know kind of like organ donors. I said I know that sounds kind of macabre. Like there's great things to mine out of athletes and whether to collaborate with them to do it or just as a resource to get these things out of them so that they can permeate and they can exist in society in, in a deep and substantive way. Like that, like that's why I'm gonna nerd out so much and go to a lot of the talks and stuff is like, I think this is one of the most important intersection points, which is like, how does our phone, how does technology, how does the speed of it, rather than just um, follow and get swept up in the momentum of the revenue that clearly can be generated when you speed up storytelling with athletics. Mm. Like how, how does it leave like substantive and important architecture behind that, that like athletes that are coming up just have a roadmap and have a way and it just, how does it leave a, a better, a better world? And I know it sounds cheesy and cliched, but like that, that and yield is, is right there. Like this, this is not about, philanthropy and and saying you know capitalism like this is full-on how cool is that that you can create i mean look at patagonia you can create substantive generational change to the health of our world and make money doing it for good for profit
Just do it. Just do it. Well, let's head out there and let's go, let's go you know, learn from some of the greats. And yeah. It's been a, a real pleasure, man. I, I, you too, man. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah, in, in Columbus, Ohio, Notre Dame, we're, we're hitting all the, the sweet spots. That's right, Midwest, that, that, that's Midwest, baby. Right there. <laughs> let's, let's, yeah, let's head to the gray. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, y'all. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Playing Business. As you know, Dan and I value good discourse and perspective. So let us know what you agree with, disagree with, or what you'd like to hear in a future episode. Always appreciate a good review or a rating, and be sure to subscribe. Thanks to the On Discourse and Audio Up team for the production of the podcast, and see you in the next episode.